Mini episode 1489 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1489. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you. And we got a real treat for you here today. We have a breakdown of the 2022 Stanley Cup Final. And uh, traditionally, there is one gentleman that we bring in for this uh, that we do this with. But uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun because we're doing it with uh, two of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries. Uh, the gentleman that we did the uh, preview of the Cup Final with and uh, the gentleman who generally joins us for such analysis. So uh, I will first bring in here uh, the gentleman that uh, we had on for the preview of the 2022 Stanley Cup Final, that being our good friend, FDH Lounge dignitary, Steve Callis. You can hear him every week on the Callis Remarks podcast with fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Joe Stazak. And Steve is also, of course, the sports editor of WestchesterCountyPost.com, that very excellent news site. And uh, going back to when we did this uh, preview, uh, it was uh, voiced to me by Steve that uh, he would very much enjoy getting to do a hockey breakdown with fellow FDH Lounge dignitary Russ Cohen and Sportsology proprietor and 10-time author. And uh, I said to him, uh, we can do that. So I am nothing if not a man of my word, Counselor. We're making it happen today. I think I said I would be honored to do one with Russ Cohen. Yes. The true hockey expert who's on Sirius XM and teams almost daily during playoffs. But yes, it's an honor to do one with him, and I'm looking forward to doing it with both of you. Yeah, well, uh, along those lines, uh, let's bring him in here. Uh, as we say, uh, 10-time author uh, and sportsology proprietor and FDH Lounge dignitary, Russ Cohen. Uh, would it be overly self-serving of me to mention that the most recent of which is co-authorship along with myself and Ben Chu of the top 75 pro basketball players of all time? We bring in Russ Cohen. How you doing, buddy? Good. And you, yeah, good placement. You have to do it. And, and Steve, thanks. I'm like blushing. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's all true, Russ. It's all true. This uh, this ought to be a good one here. I know both of you guys obviously following this very closely. Uh, you, Russ, having boots on the ground here uh, for this, uh, for the games in Tampa. It's funny because I was uh, mentioning to one of my friends the other day, I said, well, I know Russ will generally go to the Eastern Conference games when they are relatively uh, close here, but uh, I was like, ah, he's probably not going this year, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing with gas prices being what they uh, were, you didn't drive from Greater Philly down to Tampa. I didn't, but I did only go to three and four. I didn't get there for six for various reasons, and so I didn't get to see the clincher, but I was there for three and four. It was great. Uh, I do generally go to the East, but uh, I, I mixed it up. I was in St. Louis a couple of years ago, so 19, I guess that was. Uh, so I get, I, you know, sometimes I'll surprise people. Uh, I did have someone who could cover game seven, but game seven never happened. So there you go. Well, yeah. And, uh, I should get, uh, an elephant out of the way, elephant in the room out of the way before we get started here uh, on this. 
And this is a thing where I, I always, having this microphone here, having this show, uh, it can be uh, somewhat maybe kind of therapeutic and a way to kind of uh, release some demons, if you will, here. I happen to be in the position now of personally enduring what I could only call the ultimate summer of spite between the NBA, Golden State Warriors, and the NHL, Colorado Avalanche, both being champions at the same time. This is easily like the worst summer ever, I have to say. And uh, I, again, I, uh, I share the pain of all the people across the Fruited Plain who feel the same way about this with both of these highly unlikable teams, uh, in my personal estimation, uh, being the uh, champions in their respective sports. And, uh, you know, say, Rick, is you're about to have the worst fall ever with the Browns, so don't worry about it. Like <laughs> Actually, well, uh, I, I don't know if the memo got around uh, sufficiently or not, but uh, I have actually opted out of the Browns uh, for the next oh. couple of years. Uh, I, I don't, where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, and I was having a conversation today with a friend who was like, and I won't, I won't name him, although he's an FDH lounge dignitary, but, uh, he said, well, he settled 20 of the 24 lawsuits. I think he's on the road to accountability. And I said, buddy, I'm going to tell you what I told you a couple months back. Anybody that's looking to be okay with this thing is going to find a way there. I'm not looking to be. You know, if I wake up one day and I see enough things where somehow I'm okay with this, I guess it'll happen. But I'm not looking for a way to get okay with this. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the way that it would uh, continue in this vein, if we were to, you know, pick at that particular thread, would be like, say, if the Steelers won the Super Bowl, but that's not going to happen, or, or anything like that. I can't imagine anyone comparably odious winning uh, a championship in the NFL that would aggrieve me to such a degree as these two teams here. But, uh, yeah, this is a thing where, you know, again, at at least I can come on, I can whine about this, and I can milk it for a little bit of laughter. So uh, at least there is a a positive uh, in this uh, through all of this, through this mighty cross that I am bearing with this being the case. But uh, this is a thing where, uh, and I know Steve Callis, I know that uh, you are no stranger to uh, seeing some, some loathsome, loathsome things happen in your uh, estimation. You and I have had some uh, conversations about all the times that New York teams have dumped it to Tampa in the last decade or so here. So uh, avoiding spiteful things uh, in our lives here, Steve, that, that's something that none of us can dodge. Well, I don't know what to say in response to that, because when you look at the NBA and the NHL, thankfully the Rangers at least made a run and they have a future. Um, But it's kind of been a long time coming, and and especially basketball-wise, my goodness. I mean, we just can't see mediocrity, never mind winning a championship. But we'll have to keep our fingers crossed and plunge ahead. I will say I didn't know you were allowed to opt out of the Browns. I thought there was a rule in Cleveland, especially for you, Rick. But we'll leave that for another day. I mean, look, I'll jump in and tell you I opted out of the Knicks um, early 90s. So I went my whole life, and I I opted out because I said I can't keep rooting for all these teams and keep my mental health. I had to lose one of them, and it was the Knicks, and it, it was a good decision. You, you picked the right one, Russ. I was trying to find out if there was a bet I could make that the Knicks will not win in 54 years like the Rangers didn't, but I was told I'd give up my money and they'd make more on interest over the 54 years than you know, I could possibly earn on the back end, but I'm pretty confident that's going to happen, but we'll save that for another time as well. Well, and I'll, I'll say this. I made a prediction actually on this show right after the trade that the most Browns thing ever would be if they would win the Super Bowl in the next couple of years at a time when so many people, myself included, couldn't enjoy it. So 
I wouldn't rule out that happening. Now, that said, when you look at this, uh, again, the effect of being away from the game, as happened to Mike Vick for a period of time, uh, Mike Tyson for, dare I say, comparable reasons to uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, of, of never being quite the same when you come back when it's a prolonged absence from the game. Watson's been out a year, could be two, and again, who knows at that point in time as he starts to get into his later 20s what is going to uh, transpire there. But yeah, just on the surface of it, it would be the most Browns thing ever to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to transpire or not. But uh, looking at the, the way that uh, the Stanley Cup Finals here uh, transpired, uh, Russ, uh, again, it was one of these things where, and I had wavered a little bit. I had picked Colorado to win going into the season and then going into the playoffs, but I hadn't anticipated that Tampa Bay was going to be around this long. And, uh, again, that put a little bit of a different uh, slant on it for me as far as uh, the, the, you know, seemingly unbeatable two-time defending champions that kept getting off the mat over and over and over again uh, through the playoffs just to even get to this point. Whilst, uh, as you look at it here, uh, Colorado with almost kind of a relative kind of siesta as far as, I mean, Nashville in the first round, uh, an Edmonton team that was just completely overpowered in the conference finals here, uh, what uh, effect do you think that the respective paths of the two teams had to do with what we ended up seeing? Uh, it's interesting because, you know, I, I will say, look, <clears throat> last year while I got the Canadians right preseason going to the playoffs, this year I went with Florida and Minnesota, uh, and I was wrong. But I never picked against the Rangers or or the or the Avs in the playoffs, and, you know, one of those teams still did make it. Uh, I was confident with the Avs. I was confident because, yeah, they had some of these quick series, but, you know, I'm not going to go with it was an easy opponent thing, so that's why they got through. Because in the end, they went through Champa as easy as anybody's ever gone through Champa. And, and it wasn't easy, but it wasn't that hard either. It wasn't ridiculously hard. It was just a little bit of um, nervousness there. So, and again, if they had even uh, just a slight better goaltending, I think that would have been one less game for Champa too. So... It's funny, like, you know, if you go back to the to the Sixers when they won with the fo 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 thing with, you know, Moses Malone and Irving back in the day, um, this Ash team was pretty close to that. And I did actually pick a sweep in one of those rounds, which I rarely do, because in this era, it's hard to sweep. So when a team is able to do it, I give them credit, and I gave them credit because I knew that they had waves of, of depth. Joe Sackett had built so much depth on this team that even through injuries, he was able to, to get past it. And they lost some good players, and it didn't matter. And then they got, you know, Codron back, so that helped. But it didn't matter. Like, in the end, they had a lot more depth than Tampa did. Now, maybe next year, they won't have as much, because once you win and the cap starts kicking in a little more, it gets a lot harder. But as far as this one goes, I, I'm not going to say it was the easy schedule. I was gonna, I'm was going to say it was the depth. What was your perspective on watching it, uh, Steve? You and I had talked a little bit coming into the final about the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and uh, how grueling they were and uh, what it took for uh, Tampa Bay to get off the mat with the uh, the Rangers there. Uh, how, how much of it do you think they ended up leaving on the ice basically coming into the Stanley Cup Finals? I think they left some leaving on the ice, but I still think I was worried about it because I picked the Avs to win it all before the playoffs, and Joe Stazak made us pick games for the finals, and I picked the Avs in six, 
only because I didn't think they could win a game seven against Tampa yeah. Bay like nobody, I I, like nobody thought you could win. I don't think anybody, I love the Maple Leafs. They're so talented they can't win anything. But the notion that they were going to beat Tampa Bay, even in Toronto in game seven, was to me ridiculous. Could they have won that game? Yeah, they could have won that game. But once you get, it's not unlike Golden State, Rick, but even closer to it because I thought Golden State won on their experience. I thought Tampa Bay beat Toronto on their experience. I had shades of 1979 with the Rangers when Tampa Bay just came back and blew them away after they won that game three after being down 2-0. The things I was concerned about with the Avs were, as we've discussed, the goalies. I did not, if you told me it was going to be Vasilevsky against Kemper in the finals before the playoffs started, I'm not sure who I would have picked, but they are so talented, the Avs. They are so fast. They are so deep. But they've been disappointed many times. And again, they didn't even get to a conference final. I think they got beaten in the second round the last three years. So I think their depth was great. Many people now are pointing out after the fact, and I believe this to be true, obviously, because they picked the Avs. You don't need a superstar goalie when you have a team like the Avs. I don't want to analogize it to Trent Dilfer (laughs) and the Ravens of yesteryear. But I think that's true. And, you know, their lockdown defense, which is not what they're known for, I think it was, I'm sure Russell will have it exactly, maybe the last five minutes and first ten minutes of the second and third periods of game six, they got either no shots or one shot, four shots total in the fourth period, for a team that's losing, that, like, never happens. So I think the A's were deep. And the other thing I pointed out to, at least after the fact on my Facebook group, was that Nathan McKinnon finally played, like, all caps now. Nathan McKinnon, because he had one goal previously, but I think it bounced off his skate or something. Yeah. But he was really Nathan McKinnon in Game 6, including a goal. Uh, I don't want to say a lucky assist. It was a 3-on-2, and the puck bounced the right way. So he had a goal and an assist on the winner. And um, the Avs at the end of the day were too good, too deep. This McCarr is a superstar already. And, you know, you can wind up the usual suspects. Everyone's going, oh, McKinnon, he scored more than the average, more than a point a game. And, yeah, that's true. But as far as I, I was concerned, he and, frankly, Kucherov, who only scored that four-on-three power play goal in the seven games, they really didn't play like they were, like they should be, until McKinnon in game six. And, of course, that's the old, you know, it's Canarin, whatever us Ranger fans think of him. He scored the goal in game seven against the Penguins. So these guys show up in the biggest games. And that's what um, McKinnon did. So I give him all the credit in the world. But until then, yikes, he wasn't very good, in my opinion, in the finals. The only thing I'll jump in and say, um, Steve was very um, nice not to say uh, goalies like maybe uh, Mike Vernon or Chris Osgood. Cause Rick Mike have, but I <laughs> well, look, I was going to say Osgood or Corey Crawford, which uh, I think uh, anybody would have to grant me he would belong in that uh, level as well. No, I, I think that's an excellent uh, point. And uh, I want to follow up on a couple of Steve's points because they were things I talked about coming in. I predicted if Colorado won that McCarr would end up being the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. I thought that he would be instrumental in that. I was correct. And uh, although, again, this is not uh, a prediction on par with, if I go back to the NBA Finals, Let it be said yet again here on this show, I should say this on probably every show I do for a long period of time here, Ben Chu, FDH Lounge dignitary and co-author, by the way, of the top 75 pro basketball players of all time, 8-0 on this show the last eight years in the NBA Finals. 
So no predictions that any of us are making are quite on par with that. But I did get the, the Conn Smythe Trophy correct. I stipulated if Colorado won, so I even put a caveat on it. And you identified also, Steve, what I thought, because I thought it would go seven games. You thought it would go six and be Colorado. I thought it would go seven. And the rule of thumb has to be you can't pick against Tampa Bay coming into these finals if it's going seven. So that's how I looked at it. If it's a seven-game series, that's who I'm going with. But as we look at it here, in terms of the goalie, I want to talk about this a bit more, uh, Russ, because this was one of the things that Steve and I talked about coming into the final. Uh, if you look at our uh, 2022 FDH NHL Stanley Cup playoffs cheat sheet, which we still have up uh, the link for on the main page at fantasycrafthelp.com, looking at this with some of the key statistics coming into the playoffs this year, a lot of people might not believe that if you look at save percentage, that Colorado was better on paper than Tampa Bay. Sixth in the league to tenth in the league. But this is a thing where, again, they do a very, very good job of protecting Kemper. And that was obviously yeah. the scenario that you look at coming into this. If they win, it's not that he's going to stand on his head. It's that they're going to protect him, and that's what happened. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, when you get to cover the team, like, a few games in a row and situation you get a better feel for it so the you know my feel was was very much you know like Steve like hey they're you know they're faster than any team out there and if they have the puck and you don't that's going to help but they did figure out how to finally lock down their defense when they had to they didn't really want to early on because I think they knew Tampa uh, was slow afoot on defense compared to them and yeah. they couldn't hold back uh, McCarr and you know early on it would have been Gerard and you know, Cage and those guys from the blue line besides Ranton and everything else, they knew that this was going to cause matchup problems. But the the, the big thing was, after one of the losses, um, you know, Ranton was like, you know, we gave up three shots from the slot. We can't do that. Now, nobody from Tampa would ever say that because they have Vasilevsky. But in, in Colorado, they say it because they know if they do, they're going to lose. So it is a completely different situation. But I give Jared Bednar great credit because I tried to point out how he has sort of been coaching up Kemper this whole time. Uh, when Kemper looked bad, he, you know, after their loss, he, he spoke to him that night. He spoke to him that next morning in practice. And those kinds of things are really good because if you look at the, just the physical part of being a goalie, every goalie in the NHL can play the pitch. Otherwise you wouldn't be there. Right. It's the mental part that sometimes goes south. And, and that's where a coach or a goalie coach can really come in handy. And that's where I think the MVP of, of Colorado is Jared Bednar, because I think he was the one who was able to get Kemper to play right at the right time. There's still a bad moment. There's still a bad goal. You might even hang a loss or two on him. But in the end, he knew how to handle that guy. And that was a big deal. Uh, I do want to ask Russ one question about what I saw, and I didn't hear anyone else talk about it, and I do not know the answer. First off, I want to say Kemper played out of his mind in Game 4. That's yeah. after he was taken out of the game in Game 3. So I don't want to totally dump on him. And made a couple of nice saves later in the game. He only had a few in the third period, but that one on Kucherov, etc. But here's what fascinated me. Vasilevsky's getting killed in Game 2. It's 3-0, 4-0, 5-0. And I'm like sending text messages to Joe Sazak or whoever, man, I think they should really pull him. And between periods, Steve Levy asked 
two Hall of Famers, right? Mark Messier mm-hmm. and Chelios. Oh, uh, don't you think they should? Do you think they should pull uh, Vasilevsky? And both of them said, No, I don't think they should pull Vasilevsky. That would be throwing in the towel. That would be so you give it up, you lose, and all the other players have to be on the ice. Okay, that's your opinion, and you guys are Hall of Famers. And they didn't pull him, of course. You know, like right. two or three minutes in, it was six nothing, ends at seven nothing. But Russ, the next game, you know, the six two Tampa, they did pull. Yeah. did pull Kemper, and I never heard one word. I'm, I, I love Steve Levy, but I'm, why didn't he say to him, okay, well, then why did they pull um, Why did they pull Kemper? Yeah, and then he plays out of his mind his best game that I saw in the playoffs, and I watched mm-hmm. most of even the Colorado games, I watched most of them. Um, and I never heard a word, and so what, what are Messier and Shelley is going to say after that? Because, just as you said, Bedner's coaching them up, talking them up, probably yeah. in his ear, Mr. Confident. Yeah. Why wasn't that at least compared, and why, to me anyway, did it make such a big difference in Kemper's play? The very next game in Game 4, which was the key game to put him up 3-1. Different guy, different standard, right, Russ? Yeah, and that's really what it is. I, I think we all thought Vasilevsky should get pulled, even if nothing else, to not have the workload. But my feeling was after that is that he's like that pitcher that doesn't want to come out. It doesn't matter. It's his yeah. net. That's a good point, yeah. And so, and I think Cooper probably knows that. And so I think at the end, you just, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's much like Buck Showalter and Max Scherzer. Buck Showalter is like afraid to go in and take him out. Like, he is. You can just see it. Yeah. Scherzer is like a maniac, and Showalter is like this mild-mannered guy, and, <laughs> and it's never a good exchange. And I think it's similar with this. I do. But in the end, was it the right move? I don't think so. Because I do think... They should have given him the mental rest and the physical rest. It might have helped him because Vasilevsky had a lot of tough miles in these playoffs compared to to Kemper. But again, we're, you know, it's after fact, so it's easy to say. Well, in terms of the numbers here, there's another one here. And I'm really going to get into the weeds as I look at our uh, playoff cheat sheet again here. There's a number where I wonder if this should have been blinking in neon coming into these finals. And that being... Uh, and I think I even flagged this a little bit when we were doing the preview before the final. Uh, Tampa Bay, 18th and Fenwick 4, which is not something that you would necessarily expect. When you look at the effect of what Colorado's defense was supposed to, or was, was able to do to them, uh, is that something that in retrospect should have stood out at us even a little bit more, that that might be an area of, of where they might be a little bit more ripe for attack than we might think in terms of their puck possession and Colorado's defense? That's a good question. Um, as far as puck possession, yes. I mean, I think anybody can, you don't have to look at advanced stats and know that Colorado's going to do well on that. The other, yeah, I'm not sure I would have known. I, and I'm not a huge advanced stat guy. I'll look at some. So I, you know, I would plead ignorance for the other. Gotcha. And that's one where, uh, not everything always plays out uh, the way that you expect it to in, in terms of the advanced stats. And our, our formula that we go with for our uh, end-of-season rankings here is, is really kind of a mixture of some of the advanced and the less advanced ones. We go for a nice little cocktail where they're all sort of represented in here. So, uh, Counselor, I want to turn to you on this one here, too. That was something that had indicated, if you just looked at it, that uh, Tampa Bay's puck possession uh, might not be uh, exactly what you might think it might be in terms of the whole and the sum of the parts, uh, basically, uh, with the season that they'd had. And facing a defense like Colorado, uh, you look at that 18th in Fenwick 4, uh, and it, it seems very easy, whether it's hindsight is 20-20 or, or whatever the case may be, 
it seems to me like it explains a lot of what we saw as far as their inability to penetrate Colorado's defense a little better. Yeah, I think, well, for what it's worth, I certainly underestimated the AF defense. But in terms of the Lightning, I think part of their biggest problem, and I don't think we saw it any bigger than in these past playoffs, the importance of special teams. Mm-hmm. But I looked at something as simple as power play percentage, Rick, and yep. the Lightning in the finals only, I think they were 10% or 10.5% on the power play, and their power play is much better than that. And Colorado was 37.5% on the power play. And sometimes it basically becomes, you know, I hate to go back to the Rangers, but my goodness, you know, they, could, they, they couldn't they pay someone to score a goal 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. incredible. But the longer we go, and I guess we'll have to mention those two, I think it was two, I'm sure Russell know perfectly, but the two too many men on the ice penalties that yeah. Colorado... Uh, I think got away with, although Bednar's defense on the one when they actually scored, um, and there were clearly six men on the ice, he said, yeah, but, you know, if you looked at the whole tape, there were there, the, uh, the Lightning had seven men on the ice because both of the defensemen came off as the other two defensemen um, jumped on. But I don't know if that matters because it's not Tampa Bay who scored. It was the Avs. And then the last one with two minutes left in the game when um, – Landis Cog, I think, made that block with his yeah. skate and literally crawled. I think technically that's uh, six too many men on the ice as well. Uh, and as you know, the game after they missed the real too many men on the ice, they called one against the Avs with 2.38 left in the game, which yeah. kind of kept Tampa with a one-goal lead, and it was 38 seconds, and believe me, it was the least offensive power play in history. They just wanted to hold it in, uh, in the opposition's, you know, ice for two minutes which is what they did but i found it was interesting i don't know if they usually look the other way in the playoffs on that kind of thing but i thought it became a pretty big issue and at least on the one i think cooper was uh was right on the one cooper was right on landis cards look mckinnon got him off the ice as quick as he can and it was right. away from the play and and the one on the ad the ad scored it, it didn't really matter because again McKinnon was not even in the play, and he was the extra guy. So it didn't really factor in. Uh, on the other hand, I felt like, uh, I want to say it was game three, where Tampa cheated on a goal, and it was only because of where I was sitting. I noticed it, and they didn't get called for it, and they got one, and I thought it could have been too many men. And, of course, somebody I know that covered the Leafs series said, yeah, Tampa got away with two there in that series that they were well, not – didn't get away with it. They got flagged for two or three in that series. And I think Cooper's been doing this a very long time, especially at home, especially on the short change. And so the fact that he was screaming to try and get another one on Landis Cog, I think the refs had just had it with him. And it was yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think the refs had had it with him, uh, certainly by the point in time of the overtime quote-unquote goal where we're supposed to believe that the laws of gravity were suspended and that puck wasn't sitting on a neck, on the net, but was, was hangling, was suspended basically in midair here. You know, I, that's, you know that, that was something that I certainly noticed from my vantage point. Mine might not have been as good as yours, Russ. <laughs> no, I mean, look, the one thing I'll always say about hockey is it's so fast that we could miss stuff right in front of us. I was at... 2010, I was there when the Patrick Kane, Kane goal went in, and I was like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> play, I wasn't sure. That play, wasn't sure. <laughs> like it's just, and I had no idea how it even got there. Yeah. Like, it's just, you, you couldn't really tell. It's that fast. It's like, bang, bang. And so, none of that stuff surprises me. And goalies, 
has done such a good job of just getting in the way and obstructing things that it's sometimes really hard to tell. Yeah, and uh, by the way, in looking at the stat sheet here, uh, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Uh, and, and obviously this is something that didn't play much of a role, at, at all of a role, quite frankly, in McCarr becoming the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Minus four for the final. I, I'm not sure that anybody would have believed it if I hadn't just said that out loud. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah, I don't think that's a, a big deal when you have 29 points or however many points he had. Um, you know, it's interesting. I wrote an article on sportsology.com called Why Your Team Didn't Draft Kale McCarr. And, you know, like a friend of mine goes, well, that's only three teams. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it is to start. But I've heard it from all three fan bases whining about it since 2019 uh, and especially this year. But also, I feel like if the Avs didn't step up and take him, I think like three or four other teams would have passed on him until somebody else took him. And, and so I pointed out why. I pointed out all those different reasons why teams did pass on him. So if you want to read about that, read about it. But um, I still won't compare him to Bobby Orr. I mean, I didn't see Orr in his prime, but I saw enough of him and saw enough video when I was younger, when they used to show a lot of his stuff in his prime, that it's different eras. Orr was so dominant. McCarr would have to do this for like a decade more to be as dominant. But is he changing the game? Yeah, I think he's changing the game. Well, I certainly am old enough, fortunately or unfortunately, to have seen Bobby Orr in his prime and can even remember when I was a very little kid, my father was a diehard forever Ranger fan, when Harry Howell won in, uh, won the Norris Trophy in Orr's rookie year. We thought Orr should have won it. And yeah. Harry Howell said, well, I'm glad I won this year because this guy's going to win whatever he said, the next eight or something. And I think yeah. he won the next seven or eight. But <clears throat> nothing against McCarr. He's a star already, but... You know, to me, and maybe we've had this conversation, Russ, I don't know on or off the air. I'm not sure. But to me, Bobby Orr is the greatest hockey player ever. He's oh, no, he's not. I don't believe that. I do I, believe he's, it. He's above Gretzky. He's above Gordie Howe, in my view. And Gretzky always pays homage to um, Howe, of course. Yes. And it's kind of a mutual admiration society. But I will say this. I certainly think that Orr changed the game more than Gretzky or Gordie Howe or anybody else you can name. Uh, and his ability to skate back then, uh, where he ran rings around people, again, there's so many more great skaters, there's so much more athletic today uh, than they were back then, but um, to me, he's he's one forever, and I don't know that there'll be another one, but this guy's already a, a superstar, frankly, and you're right, he had 29 points, so I agree with you. You know, plus minus is sometimes you're just getting on the ice and some guy's on a breakaway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not cool, and, and basketball as well. Um, but whatever, McCarr is a superstar already. He's going to be good for years and years to come. Um, but Orr's up there on Mount Rushmore kind of by himself, I think, with yeah. defensemen, certainly. Well, yeah, I agree, and I've always uh, said Bobby Orr, number one of all time. You, you might expect me to say uh, Gordie Howe, uh, but even I'm not that much of a homer. Gordie Howe is, is obviously right there, but I give it to Bobby Orr for the same reason. I will say, Steve, we talked about coming into uh, the final here, the notion of when you look at some of the matchups on both sides here, and that uh, to me, Victor Hedman's been the best defenseman in the league the last couple of years, and it's a chance yeah. for Kale McCarr to try to rip that uh, uh, kind of he baton out of his hand, yeah. and uh, he makes a case for that, uh, Russ. I, I don't know if he's quite there yet, but uh, he made the case for it that uh, I anticipated would be the case if Colorado won. Yeah, it's different. You know, it's funny. They, they impact the game differently. But, no, it's a good case. But, uh, look, I'll even say for the Norris, uh, my number one was Roman Yossi. 
I mean, he was yes. Superman this year. Yes. Uh, and if he, you know, not that it's part of the award, but if he wasn't on Nashville, like, it's just, but again, uh, I'm not going to take away from either of the other guys. Look, Hedman could win the Norris every year. I think that's fair to say. Yes. I think you're right. Yes, he's had the amazing kind of career that uh, he was forecast to have. He's really lived up to his pedigree. Uh, a lot of high pedigree players on both teams uh, who are living up to their pedigrees. But yeah. I do want to point out, that took a little while. As a draft guy, I'm going to tell you, after the first couple of years of Victor Hedman, there were people yelling, bust, and what, why did this guy get taken was a second overall? Yeah. Why? Um, a lot of questions, and then all of a sudden they all got answered. Well, and he's, he's 31 now, so it's, yes, I mean, the best part of his career has been uh, really in the last five years or so, so point well taken on that. I want to ask you, Russ, because there was something we talked about coming into the final, and uh, you being such a hockey historian. Glad, by the way, I'm glad you're saying the final. It kills me when there's a hashtag on Twitter that says final. Uh, I'm glad that the NBA gets it wrong punctually, but it's wrong, and it's, and it is the Stanley Cup final, and anybody who says finals, it just kind of grates on me. Even I've so slipped you. up a few times here, but I've tried to get it right most of the time on it yeah. final. Yes, sometimes I still have the slip of the tongue. But coming into this, we had said, when you look at the talent level on both teams here, Steve and I were looking back, and I think we had something of a consensus. You could make the case that at the beginning of Tampa's run, when they played Chicago, that that might have been the last time that there was this much talent on the ice. Perhaps Chicago and Boston in 2013, both of those squads were in their primes at the time. But I think both of us came down on the side of, you've probably got to go back to 08, 09, Red Wings and Penguins, to when there was this much talent on the ice for the Stanley Cup final. Where do you come out yeah. on this? Uh, 08, 09. I covered that series intently. Uh, I covered the celebration on the ice for that one. Uh, there was an amazing amount of talent. Just amazing. And so I do think this was very similar to that. I don't even know if this one could match that, to be fair. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think also, too, although there, there were some young players on both sides uh, back then, too, but some of it has to do with the relative youth of some of the players uh, in this series. And, and even somebody like uh, Kucherov, who, uh, for all he's accomplished, is still only 28. Uh, and has a lot of miles ahead of him at this point here, too. So, yeah, that uh, that is interesting to contemplate. I mean, you know what the funny thing is? It's like the cup guy in this one is Corey Perry, who's a really nice player. The one back then was Marion Hosa, who's a better player. Well, and here's what's funny. We talked about that on the preview, is that of the, of the final that I mentioned, a couple of the different uh, finals there, uh, and I say finals in terms of multiple series, so I'm allowed yeah. to say it in that context, but Hosa, 2013, 2009, 2008. Whenever that guy made a final, uh, you knew there was going to be a lot of talent on the ice, Russ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because he kind of gets forgotten about for his great defense because he did put up solid offensive numbers, but he's great defensively, too. The thing that was always the most hilarious to me, and I had multiple friends that were like this, some of these Penguin Hawks that took it as like a big betrayal when he came to the Red Wings, like, you, <laughs> you do know the guy was a hired gun, right? This wasn't like born and raised. My God, we raised him from the steel mines of Pittsburgh. The guy was a hired gun at the deadline. 
he leaves for the defending champions, and you have the gall, the unmitigated gall, to act like this guy's a traitor. I always thought that no, was hilarious. You know, I can think of a similar situation. You know, I was on the Hall of Fame call yesterday, and Daniel Alfredson was on it, and I saw on Twitter that your Red Wings wished old Alfie, uh, you know, a happy uh, Hall of Fame day, and I was, like, laughing at that because there was such outrage from Ottawa fans when he went there that it's very similar. I agree, but I'll tell you what. Here's the difference. When you talk about class organizations, and I realize that I'm going to come off as biased here, but we didn't do the all-time punk move of retiring his jersey or putting it in the rafters, I should say, like the Avs did with Ray Bork in 2001. Ultimate shameful kind of a thing. That guy is a Boston Bruin for life as far as anybody's concerned, and they want to claim him as their own. Get out of here with that crap, Ross. That's, I can't argue that. You're right. Yeah, absolutely classless on their part. But uh, so to, to bring it full circle on my feelings of uh, how this all went down, but uh, for, for any remaining thoughts here, anything we didn't cover yet on the final, I will throw it to you first, Russ. Well, I, I, you know, I mentioned Bednar. I, I think we also should mention uh, the difference Kadri made when he came back off an of injury. Uh, I think that was massive. Had he not come back in this series, I don't know if the Avs would win. We also should mention Braden Point skewed some of those Tampa stats because uh, the power play would have been a lot better if there was a healthy Braden Point, and the series would have been a lot different had there been a healthy Braden Point, but there wasn't. So that's what we just acknowledge that hockey is always a, a game of attrition. I think that's, that's always fair to say. We saw the list of mangled, and I knew uh, going into that game six that Tampa was more mangled for lack of a better term, than, than Colorado. But again, big ups to these hockey players that need help to get on jerseys and um, doctor's assistance to get on skates, get into the game with their mangled bodies like Valerie Deshuskin did with his ugly, ugly-looking foot for 23 minutes. Like Again, I don't know how these guys do it. Ultimate respect for Matt. But I, I think we did see a level of talent that at least in, in the last decade, is unmatched, and I think it was fun to see that. And I think if we learn one thing, and, and again, I think Chelios was changing his tune as the series went on, but Messier was kind of stuck in the path. Defense did not win the Stanley Cup, and they both were saying that at the beginning, and they both had to start changing it because defense has changed. And I don't think even Chelios has realized how defense has changed. He was still talking about Game 3 and Game 4, like how you just do these blind chucks up the ice to get the uh, puck out of there so you can take a breath, but it's like, Chris, then the puck comes back the other way, and these guys are so good at face-offs now, you're back to where you started. Right. You're only getting, you know, a second and a half. Once in a while, it's fine. As a, basically a way of defending, it's not. And I think the puck possession aspect sort of eluded both of them, but I think at least Chelios started changing his tune a little bit for the last couple of games. So, you know, that's one thing where we could see the change in the game just through these old eyes, for lack of a better way of putting it. No, that's a good point. I was noticing that as well. Uh, throw it to you here, uh, Steve. Any remaining thoughts we didn't get to from you? Yeah, I think the Braden Point point is a great one. I mean, this guy was unbelievable last year, in fact, the last two years, as a goal scorer, in fact, which is kind of what you need. They really did miss him. Kadri, to me, was incredible. He had that hat trick in the Western Conference Finals game four, I think it was. Yeah. And then he had this incredible one-handed goal. You know, I'm reading something about him. 
they, they made some kind of special glove so he could actually play mm-hmm. and grip a stick. But that goal, which was one-handed, was, and he didn't even know it went in. That's the one that got stuck at the top right. of the net. Um, it was just incredible. I will say about Messier and Chelios, and unfortunately for me, about Gretzky on TNT, um, I don't know if it's the old, you know how they say the superstar player can't be a, a, a terrific coach, basketball, hockey, mm-hmm. even baseball. Um, I don't think those guys are really that much committed in depth. And it's, you know, I'm Mark Messier and here's what I'm saying. I'm Chris Tullios right. and here's what I'm saying. And people think that sells and they play these guys gobs of money. I can't tell you I'm a Valaket fan, but he was at least good doing Ranger games. Oh, he much. As much as I love Lundqvist, I'm not sure that he's quite there. I think you really, and, and obviously you know this, Russ, because you do this. I mean, you really, really have to do your homework and you work do. hard. Talk it's to no players. different, right? It's no different to me than being a great at your game as a player. Uh, you can't just parachute in and, and be great at these things. But as you know, names are names, and that's why they get paid. Uh, but on the ice. Um, I give all credit to the Avs. They, they they might have been the best team the last one or two of the last three or four years. You just yeah. don't know. Obviously, they didn't win. Uh, but I thought they did make a big leap this year because it wasn't like they got beat in the Cup Finals. It wasn't like they even got beat. You know, they got beat in the second round, in the first or second round, I think, for those years. And, and uh, they really put it all together. But I think it was the overwhelming nature of their talent, their speed, their ability. And yes, at times, to their defense, and I'll say it one more time, because I didn't mean to dump on Darcy Kemper, but he did have moments of Game 4 specifically in the finals where he played great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even mention their backup, Francis, who was 6-0. and I mean, that counts for Yeah, something. I think that was a bit of a red herring, though. I don't think he's that good. Yeah, I don't think he's that good either, but they won the games that he was in, which is kind yeah. of uh, what you have to do. So... I give all credit to the Avs, and you know, and you salute, of course, you salute what Tampa Bay did, 11 series in a row. I mean, in today's NHL, and, and, and that's the difference. When you talk about, look at all these Hall of Famers, if you go back to a six-team NHL, you know, there's so many Hall of Famers in there because every goalie was like a Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> and you wonder sometimes, or I wonder sometimes, if they had like a six-team NHL today or a 12-team NHL today, think of the level of play. Look at what, look at what we just saw, and that was an incredible level of play so once again congratulations to the abs i think they deserved it and i think they were able to survive as many had said again it wasn't a fair fighting goal but kemper did what he had to do when he had to do it and specifically game four the final thing i'll point out is i thought game one was a gigantic game because you'll recall tampa had that long rest and the rangers got them the first two games but uh, the Avs had had a long rest already and had won off a long rest, and they won that game in overtime. You know, it's, it's funny. Everybody says, oh, well, you know, two of those games were overtime. They could have gone either way. That may be true, but, <laughs> and the but is the Avs won both of the overtime games, including game one. Had they dropped that game after a long rest in overtime, I think it could have been a different series. That is uh, that is interesting. I, I will say, too, I'm just going to point out as far as a six-team NHL, today you have the U.S. and you have Europe and you have all these different places to get talent. Six-team NHL, you had a talent pool, I think, that stretched from, what, Sudbury to Thunder Bay approximately? So it's a little different in that regard as well, in fairness. Sure. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, it gives us a lot to... The only thing I can add then, Rick, because I 
you know, written enough books about the times back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good American players were few and far between because, you know, whether or not having the ice, having the right competition, having the right coaching, it took a long time for that to come around. Uh, yeah, I mean, who who knows how many Austin Meadows were working in Arizona back in the day, right? That uh, never yeah. picked up a hockey stick in the first place. So there are uh, some differences, but they, I, I always look at that at every sport here too. That uh, talent pools in a lot of these sports have kind of globalized over a period of time. But uh, you know, yeah, excellent points all the way around from you guys. By the way, Braden Point, as it comes out today, not long before the taping, evidently trying to work through a torn quad. So the <laughs> amount of uh, courage that it takes to try to get through that. Uh, absolutely uh, unspeakable. But, uh, again, an amazing, amazing wrap-up with you guys. Uh, can't thank you guys enough. FDH Lounge Dignitary Steve Callis and Russ Cohen. Thank you guys, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1489.